0: Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Joseph was Daddy's favorite, and all the other brothers knew it, and they could not stand Joseph. Joseph knew that God had a plan for him, and uh, he made sure that others knew about that. Well, one day, his brothers finally got fed up with goody-two-shoes Joseph, whom God was going to use, and they threw him into a pit. And they were going to leave him there. They wanted him to die. But eventually, they actually sold him off. They sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites, and they took him all the way to Egypt. And in Egypt... Joseph became a slave of a guy named Potiphar, and Potiphar was pretty high up in the uh, Pharaoh's army, and he took Joseph, placed him in charge of everything in his household. Well, Joseph was blessed by God, so that meant Potiphar's household was blessed by God. He kept moving up in ranks, and Potiphar trusted him with everything. Then one day, Mrs. Potiphar took notice of Joseph. The Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome. She continued to pursue him. Until one day, she cornered him, grabbed him by the garment, and wanted him to lie with her. Now, I want you to imagine that God has come to you and he wants you to go back in time. You know everything about Joseph. You know all the things that God is going to use Joseph for. You know all the good plans, how Joseph is going to end up saving his family. He's going to end up actually saving all of Israel. You know all of this stuff. And knowing that, God says, I want you to go back. I want you to warm him. You've got one second. You've got one word. What are you going to tell Joseph in the moment while he's in the grasp of Potiphar's wife? You're going to say to him, run, run, get out of there. This is what the Bible says in Genesis thirty-nine twelve. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. He ran and got out of the house. That is a wise young man. And this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. I think we have all made decisions in our lives that we regret. We regret. We look back on some stuff, some decisions that we made, and our lives are filled with shame and regret. And because we have a God who loves us, who cares about us, he has instructed us how we can live a life without regret. He has instructed us how we can live wide awake to every single decision, every single thing that comes our way so that we would look back on our life and not regret the things that we have done. There's a very important question for us to ask in those moments. And this question isn't, is it legal? The question to ask isn't, well, is this moral? Uh, Is there a Bible verse? The question to ask isn't, what is everybody else doing? The question that we need to ask is, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing? Based on my past experience, based on my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do in this moment? And last week week when we started introducing this question, we went to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15 through 17, where it says there this, look carefully then how you walk. Other versions say watch, watch how you walk. It said it's a little bit like walking through a dog park, like watch where you're walking because it is a a mess out there. Just be very, very careful careful and aware as you go through this life. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Hello? Evil days. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't, Don't try to justify. Don't try to rationalize. Don't try to explain away this decision. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we have this question to ask. Every time we come up against a decision, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do with my money? What's the wise thing to do with my time? What is the wise thing to do with my career? What, what is the wise thing to do with my marriage? What's the wise thing to do with my parenting? Today, we're gonna take this question, what is the wise thing to do? And we're going to apply it in the area of morality. Because we've all made decisions in our lives. When we look back, we have regret. What is the wise thing to do? This is the decision that we have to ask at every juncture, every opportunity. What is the wise thing to do? Now, the decisions that you have made in the past, those decisions that you look back and you regret, the way that you got there, the way that you blew it big time is you ran past all of the warning signs. You passed all the red flags. The way that you blew through that red light in life, you kept running through the yellow lights. You, you kept saying, well, is there a law against this? Is this really wrong? Is there a Bible verse that tells me that I can't do this? Is everybody else doing this? I'm not really hurting anyone. And then you blew it big time. You stepped over the line. You stepped over that edge that we said we all kind of nuzzle up against. We want to push it to this limit and we'll walk along the edge and the line of morality many, many times in our lives. Take, for example, uh, a couple of people. Uh, I'm, I've named uh, the man Alfred. Any Alfreds in the room? All right, good. Uh, I was trying to make it like uh, I don't want you to feel guilty. Uh, and Cecilia. Any Cecilias out there? All right. Good. I checked the database and I think I'm safe. Uh, so, We've got Alfred and Cecilia. They work in the same office. Uh, Alfred is married, and Cecilia is single, and she's attractive. And Alfred notices, but he's happily married to his wife. Well, one day, Alfred uh, decides, I need to take... Cecilia to lunch, because we have some things that we need to discuss and might as well kill two birds with one stone. We're going to have a a working lunch. We're going to be out in public. I know she's attractive, but hey, uh, everybody's got to eat. We're going to do lunch and we're going to get some work done. It's going to be just fine. So uh, Alfred and Cecilia sit down. They have lunch in a public place together. Fast forward a a couple of weeks. Cecilia and Alfred, they're working late at the office. It's just them and they're burning the midnight oil there and it gets to be dinner time. Now, Alfred thinks, well, uh, we should order dinner in. We should just order it. And that way we can work and we can eat. We've already had lunch together, and nothing has happened. Everybody's got to eat. And if anybody were to come in here, they would see, we're just, we're just eating. We're not doing anything. Cecilia's thinking, he's, he's a married guy, but, you know, everybody's got to eat. So they order dinner in. The food comes, and they sit down to this meal together. And Alfred starts opening up. He starts feeling a bit more comfortable. So he starts telling Cecilia about his marriage and the struggle that he's having right now in his marriage. And Cecilia thinks, hey, it's okay. It's all right if he confides in me. Like, I'm his friend. I can help him out. I'm a lady. I've got a, a certain angle on this. I can help my friend out. Besides, Alfred's wife isn't really treating him very good. Poor Alfred. You know where this is going, right? Like, you've seen this movie anywhere in the story, if you were to stop and you were to look at Alfred and Cecilia and go like, what are you doing? They'd say, well, we're not doing anything wrong. We haven't done anything immoral. We haven't even touched each other. But you know where this is going. They're in the office. They start opening up their hearts to one another, start confiding, hey, these are things that I think and feel and my opinion. And after a little while, there's some locking of the eyes, some... Lingering looks into one another's eyes. Then one night, Cecilia has Alfred come over to her place because her car broke down. So Alfred's a good Samaritan. And he picks her up and takes her to her house. And Cecilia says, Hey, you want to come in and see how I've decorated the place? Alfred says, in his mind, he's like, Hey, yeah, sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going into somebody's house. People go into people's homes all the time. There's no law against going into people's homes. There's no verse, no Bible verse about going inside somebody's house. So Alfred goes in. There's nothing wrong with a hug. Everybody hugs. And now Alfred and Cecilia are embraced alone in her home. Where did it go wrong? Every poor moral decision is made as a result of a series of unwise decisions. And we justify along the way, and we keep saying, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. But is it wrong is not the right question. The right question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? The wise thing to do will keep you from moral disaster. The wise thing, in fact, what we read in, in Proverbs 28, it will deliver you. Doing the wise thing will end up delivering you from jumping off the edge and the ledge into an uh, just abyss of, of moral junk. So I would say, in those moments, when, when you find yourself or have found yourself, and you're in this place, you're in this situation, you're like, how did I get here? How did I wind up in this situation? Why do I have such remorse? Why do I have such regret? How did this happen? Well, it's simple. You... You asked the wrong question. You blew by all the warning signs. You, you disregarded any wisdom that was coming your way. And through a series of unwise decisions, you failed morally. You asked the wrong question. It's in all of us. That potential is there. Because on the inside of us, it's in our nature to kind of live on the edge. We kind of want to be there. It's this thing in us that begins to pull us to the very edge of where we know we should not be, but yet there's this pull. Uh, The Apostle Paul, he acknowledges this in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Isn't that the case? There's always like this evil, there's this temptation that keeps wooing us and and pulling us right to the edge, right to the brink of disaster morally. There's always this thing, even though, man, I I have a right intention and maybe my, my spirit is strong, but my flesh is weak and we keep being pushed by our culture, by our feelings, by our wants, by our nature in this direction, and for some of us, many of us, when we jump off that edge, when we cross that line morally, we can end up paying for it for a very long, long time. It could cost you your family. It could cost you your job. It could cost you intimacy. It it could cost you your life. There are things that we do morally that some of us end up paying for for a long, long, long time. And if you were God and you loved you like he loves you, what would you say? If you were God and you've watched over human history... And you see what happens when people take physical intimacy, they go over the line morally. You have watched all of the heartache, all of the abuse, all of the dysfunction. You've seen all of that. You know the power that it has, physical intimacy for good or for evil. If you were God, what would you say to you on the edge and the ledge? Run! Run! Go the other way. This is what God wants. You, you would say to your creation, people that you love, there's a boundary. I don't want you to end up hurt. I don't want you to end up in a place where you never intended to be. You would lead and you would guide and you would do what you could because you love your creation. This is what we do for our children. I mean, if you have a child, imagine them as a toddler and they're reaching up for a, a pan of boiling water. What do you do? They, they're about to put an electrical cord that's plugged in in their mouth. I mean, as adults, we see things that our kids don't see, they may not understand, and we want to jump in, we want to intervene, we want to make sure that they're safe, they're not going to be harmed. So if you were God, what would you do? What would you say? You would begin to create these boundaries. But what does a loving God get from his creation? You're a big fuddy-duddy. You're raining on my parade. You're a cosmic killjoy. You just don't want me... To have any fun. This is a God who loves us. God, the Bible says what it says about sex because God is, is designed it, He has made it. It's not like God is in heaven going, Well, what's happening there? He knows He has created this within certain boundaries for our joy and for His glory. The Bible says what it says about sex, not because God is against it, but because he is for it. He ain't against it, he's for it. The Bible says what it says, the seventh commandment, Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery and every other command that he gives us. It's not there to rain on our parade and make life difficult for us. It is there to protect us because we have a heavenly father who loves us and wants to protect us from pain and harm and a life of regret. This is why it says what it says. Open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Open your Bible or turn your Bible on, whatever you've brought here. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to look at one verse, just one verse. And if we can take this one verse and we can apply this one verse, friend, I am telling you that you can live life wide awake, that you can live life and look back and not have the kind of regrets that many of us in this room we have and we wish that we would not have. We wish we could do it different. The Apostle Paul is writing this to a church in Corinth. And much like last week when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, this is a pagan culture. This is a group of people who are living far, far away from God. They're living a very lascivious kind of life. They're doing whatever makes them feel good. Uh, It's just a mess. And into that culture where there's a group of people who have been called to live... Counterculturally, to look different than everybody else around them, to have a different lens through which they look at sexuality and what is happening around them. Paul begins to write this thing to those who have the potential very, very easily to push it to the limit, to get to the edge, and one wrong decision sends them into an abyss of pain and regret. And so Paul wanting to reach out to his brothers and sisters in Christ through the Spirit of God, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee. Fugo is the Greek word. It means escape, run, flee from sexual immorality. Now, you might have an older version. It might say fornication there. So let me just tell you, anytime you see the word fornication or sexual immorality, that is any sex outside of. Of marriage, and so Paul makes it real, real simple. Uh, just breaks it down. Run, run away. Don't don't get close. Go the opposite way, and go the opposite way as quick as you can. Well, why, 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 why should we flee? Paul says, "Well, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, every other sin, every other sin a person commits is outside the body." but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Every other sin. And maybe you've heard people say, hey, isn't sin sin? Isn't all sin the same? Nope. All, all, any sin, all sin will separate you from God. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But not all sin is the same. Some sin is in a category all by itself, this is one of them. This is a sin. there is something unique about sexual sins, and, and we could pretend like we could pretend that it 's the same as pride. We could pretend that it 's the same as lying or or stealing some paper clips from work or stealing a pack of gum, all of which are wrong, but it 's not. It is not the same. What experience tells us is that sexual sin is in a category all its own. It is a sin against yourself. It's a sin against your mind, against your heart, against your spirit, against the very core of who you are. This is a unique sin that God calls out. This is the kind of sin that lingers This is the kind of sin that clings to you. It holds to you. It clings to you like a lint roller through kitty litter. Touched on the dogs earlier. Now, kitty litter, right? It just sticks to you. It's the thing that comes back to your memory. And you're just like, I don't want to remember. I don't want to be there. It's the emotions. It's the scars. It's the lack of intimacy that you now have as a result of sinning against yourself, this is a serious sin. And I think it's that way because it's one of those things that's really, really hard to forgive ourselves of. It's really, really hard to forgive others in this realm. And again, if you were God, what would you say to you? Run. Don't flirt. Flee. Don't flirt. Flee. Run. Run. Get as far away from the ledge as possible. Not because he's against you, but because he longs for you to be able to experience his blessings within the parameters that he has set up. So, how do we do this? How, how, how do we begin to take this this word from God, where we are to flee from sexual immorality, and apply it to our lives? Well, here's the way that you do it. You set standards. You set standards far away from the edge of immorality, so that if you were to violate your standard, there'd really be no consequences. What we're saying is, you go ahead up and set up a standard that's not up there, not close to this ledge, like one more wrong decision, I'm off into the abyss, but you set standards that are way, way back. And if you will do that, if you begin to ask, okay, what's the wise thing to do? Well, the wise thing isn't to be up here where I am tempted to do something that I know my flesh wants to do, but I'm way back here. I'm nowhere near falling into the abyss. This is something that I have had to learn and apply. And for me, I need a a boundary that's way back. And so uh, for me, I have determined that my boundaries are going to look like I'm, I'm not going to have meals alone with a woman. I'm not going to have meetings alone with somebody who's not my spouse. I'm not going to ride in a car with someone that I'm not married to. It basically all boils down to uh, if you're a lady, I'm not going to be alone with you. I mean, if if there's like a, a public space, there needs to be other people around as well, like at the church. I'm not going to be alone with anybody else. I remember when I first started setting this up. When I first started realizing, okay, I need to make sure that I have boundaries that are far, far away from the ledge. I remember hearing about a guy named Billy Graham. Remember Billy Graham? Billy Graham said that he set up standards where he wouldn't even ride in an elevator alone with a woman. He wanted to protect his reputation and any woman's reputation. So he wouldn't even ride in an elevator alone with a woman. I thought, well, that's brilliant. I'm going I'm to apply that one too. I'm not going to ride alone in an elevator with a woman. And so, uh, wouldn't you know it, the very next week, I'm at the hospital visiting somebody, and I'm on the elevator. So I'm on the elevator, alone, and a woman is walking towards me, and she's alone. And I'm like, oh, here it is. And so, so I'm standing there, and you know how the doors close, and it's the kind thing to reach out and keep the door from closing? I just let that baby The look on her face as the door was just like, and I'm just standing there like this. It was the weirdest feeling because I felt bad, but at the same time, I'm like, I did it. (laughs) I made it. Bing. It's done. Now, it it always feels awkward for that kind of thing, so I set up another little boundary for myself, another little thing, because I really don't like looking like a jerk. So if it's 10 floors or less, I'm walking, right? I don't want to have to be like (laughs) staring at people who are like, that guy is a big jerk. I know. I know. Um, so there's there's all those opportunities. I remember uh, it was a, a few years ago, working here at the church, and uh, we, we had a, a lady who was feeling sick. She was the only lady in, in the building. We had other pastors around, but she was very, very sick, and she had to get back home. and She could not drive. So I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do here? Because I don't ride in cars alone with women. So I said, all right. I didn't tell her that, but I just like, okay, uh, I'll drive you back. And I asked one of the other pastors, get in a car behind me. You're going to have to take me back because I'm taking her in her car to her place because she's ill. She's sick. And so I am driving on 52 and I'm praying, dear God, please don't let anybody from the church see me in a car alone with this woman. Because I've told this congregation before. Your pastor's not alone with somebody who's not his wife. And if they were to see me now, I'd just feel terrible. So that whole drive, I'm just feeling the weight. I'm just feeling the guilt of like, I am doing something wrong. I'm violating my conscience and I'm glad, right? Because I'd rather have the boundary way back here and me to feel awkward than to have a boundary way up here, make a wrong decision and destroy my life. You, you, might, you, might think, you might look at this and you're like, this is ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Do you think anybody would care, if, actually, if they saw me get it off an elevator with a, a woman being on the elevator? Like, now you would because I have this whole big thing I've been telling you. But do you, think any, do you think it would register to anybody else? I don't think so. But for me, I just feel yucky. And so you're like, that's ridiculous. I'll take ridiculous over the alternative. I'll take ridiculous over divorced. I'll take ridiculous over visiting my child every other weekend. I'm not telling you you have to do this. This is for me. This isn't a law. I'm not saying, you got to take my standards. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, for me, the wise thing is back here. And all I'm asking you is to ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? Teenagers you need to decide. You need to pre-decide how far you're going to go. And I would encourage you to have high standards because if you don't, somebody with low standards is going to come along and set those standards for you way down here. And I think if you were to ask a lot of people in this room, they would have said, oh, I wish I would have had higher standards. You set those standards, you'll never regret it. Single adults, what's the wise thing to do? considering your future hopes and dreams for your spouse, what's the wise thing to do now when it comes to morality? For those of you that, that may have been physically intimate before and in you're divorced or widowed, your, your standards might even have to be higher than they were before. What's the wise thing to do if you're married? How far away from the edge do you want your spouse to be? How far back do you want them to go from temptation? And you'd say far, 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 far away from that ledge, back away from the ledge. Shouldn't you have the same standard? Shouldn't you be following the same kind of thing? Friends, listen. We live in a culture that baits us to the edge. It pulls us to the edge. We, we have a world that is pulling us. We have an enemy of our soul that is pulling us. We have this natural bend on the inside of us that wants us to walk along the edge and the ledge of morality. And, and this culture will pull you there. And when you take the bait, if you take the bait, if you buy the lie and you go over the edge, that same culture is going to say, how could you? You are pathetic, how did you get to be so warped? We live in a culture, a world that is filled with hypocrites. And I know that they say that the church is filled with hypocrites, and I understand what they're saying. But this world is filled with hypocrites because they're going to mock you if you abstain, and then they're going to mock you when you go too far, and they have no standard. And isn't this what the enemy does to us? He says, come on, go ahead, come to this edge. Go ahead and go over. You deserve it. You've been pretty good. So let's go ahead and do that. It's going to make you feel good. Go on, just do it. You take the bait, you go over the edge and he looks at you and he says, you are so pathetic. I cannot believe you did that. You're awful. How dare you even think about going back to God? You've done this far, far too many times. Shame on you. This is the culture we live in. This is the battle that we face. And we're drawn to walk along that edge. Do you know where adultery starts? Other than in the mind, do you know where it begins to get some traction? I've watched it. Chatting online with somebody who's not your spouse. Is there a law against that? Can we go to some code and we find, oh, wow, I can't chat with somebody who's not my spouse online. Not, is it wise? Texting somebody who's not your spouse. Is there a verse? Do, do we go to the verse and we like, thou shalt not text? Not the question. Is it wise? Chatting on Facebook with an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. Oh, we're just catching up. We're just catching up. Riding in cars alone with somebody who's not your spouse. Going to lunch with somebody who's not your spouse. Travel, office, whatever it might be. Confiding in somebody. Sharing about all the struggles that you're having in your marriage and they're not a counselor, is it wise? Guys going out who are married with their buddies to the bar, ladies with their girlfriends going to the bar, ah, we're just looking, we're not touching. It leads somewhere. It's all moving in a direction. The question becomes, what is the wise thing to do? Like, how far would you go to protect what is most important to you? To what degree would you go to say, I want to protect that which I love? And the way that you protect it isn't up here on the line. That's not wise. The way that you protect it is by asking, what is the wise thing to do? And begin setting boundaries that are much, much further away so that if you were to violate those boundaries, you would just feel bad. There wouldn't be an explosion of regret and remorse in your life. Do you know what I hear from people on the other side of the line? And I hear it a lot. I would do anything to go back and do it all over. I would go to extreme measures to undo, to not be in this place of pain. And my question becomes, would you be willing to make those extreme decisions? Like, I'll go to extremes to go back and change. I wish it would be different. Would you be willing on this side of the line to make some extreme choices, to make some extreme narrow decisions back here so that you don't come to this place where your life is filled with regret? Friend, this is how you live wide awake. This is how you live a life without regret. Let's pray. In this moment, as we're praying, I just want you to be quiet for a second and let God just do his work. More than some guy talking, more than just like, here's some words. What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Because I realize with a topic this heavy, that there's regret, there's remorse, there's shame that's brought back up. But here's what I want you to know. You don't have to live there. You don't have to live with regret. You don't have to live with shame. Jesus Christ has come to take it away, to remove it. The Bible tells us that when we take those things that we feel just dirty for, That we regret and we have shame and we bring it before the Lord and we confess it. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify, to purify us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't happen just simply by your bad feelings. That doesn't happen just simply with shame that you might feel. It happens when you move to the one who can take all of your sin and shame upon himself, absorb it, and purify you, cleansing your heart and your life, making you as white as snow. You don't have to live with that regret. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death and you can live in that freedom. Regret free, saved, sanctified. Father, please, as we come before you, we ask that you would take all of our sin and that you would remove it, that you would cleanse us Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for taking my unrighteousness and offering me your righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for absorbing all of the wrath of God in my place. I trust you. I trust you to save me, to cleanse me. I thank you that you rose from the grave, that you're alive even today. You are here personally and your spirit is here so that I might know you to walk with you. I pray, Father, that you would lead me all the days of my life. I confess this life is difficult. There are tempting situations. I've not been able to manage it on my own. I invite you in. Transform me. Change me. Make me your own. I belong to you. Father, for every person who's who's come to you this day, either with a commitment or a recommitment to walk with you, to allow you to be Lord, to lead their life. Father, I pray that what the enemy has meant for evil, what he just wants to keep pushing down on us, shaming us, that all of that can be washed by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we walk out of here free as you have intended, free to love you, free to be led by you, and to live this life. As you desire, we belong to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.